0: Please turn to John chapter 2, we read verses 1 through 12. Please stand when you find your place for the reading of God's holy word. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The master of the beast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Just reading the word. You may be seated. As we go through this and the next few chapters, whenever we see Jesus doing a miracle, I want you to ask one question. That question is why? Why does Jesus turn water into wine? I see a few of you with puzzled look like, I don't know, I really haven't thought about because they're out of wine? Did Mama said so? <laughs> now, there is reason. Jesus doesn't just do anything randomly. There is a purpose to everything he does. So I would have you consider that as we study today. Now, I, I know there's someone's got a wedding they're planning right now, and we're we're excited for that. That's coming up pretty soon. November will be here before we know it. And there'll, there'll be a grand time, and I'm sure there'll be a reception. There's some weddings we get to go to that you'll remember forever. It's you know Sometimes it's just the beauty and the pageantry of the wedding, or sometimes if it was like the reception I had, there were some events that happened that that may, make it stick in your mind forever. Share, share a little story. But first, of all, kind of an asterisk, uh, alcohol at weddings. It's, sometimes, it's something that has come to be expected in our culture. I think, for, especially for Christians, we, it should be warned against. Sometimes alcohol has very negative effects and in, in a time of reception that is not always the best. You know, when, when my wife and I got married, we, we got married at the courthouse, and it was uh, several months later when we were surprised by by Nina's mom. And she threw us a surprise wedding shower. It was a wonderful uh, gift from her. But the problem was nobody told me that there was going to be a wedding shower. And I was at that young stage. I was uh, just 20 years old at that point in time. And I really needed a haircut really badly. If, if you ever see those pictures, that's not the prettiest thing. <laughs> Because nobody told me, hey, it would be a good idea if you wouldn't got a haircut because you're going to be taking like 300 pictures today. And so uh, I'm surprised by my uncle who, uh, looking back, I should have known better when i take my wife and I out to dinner, and that never happens. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, we're, we're pulling in, and, and we go into this place, and we see a lot of people there that I only see at weddings and funerals. You know, it clicked pretty quickly what was going on. There was a beautiful cake that was off to the side. It was... Pretty had the, the waterfall and the different tiered uh, staircases going up and around, and it was uh, really. It started off as a wonderful time, but as the alcohol got consumed, it was a open bar, and there, there are sadly people in my my family and my bride's family that will only show up at events if there's alcohol. You know, I I was 20 years old. I couldn't even legally drink alcohol. You know, so it was was not the the best. Um, uh, thing with, with the people that were involved, but I'm seeing my, my dad there, and my uncle's there, I have family from Kansas City who I haven't seen since my grandfather passed away when I was nine years old. It was, it was really good to see some of them, but as the event um, rolled on and the alcohol took its course, I remember uh, one person saying to another person something about his father, and a hole ended up in the wall. Uh, a, another person fainted and had to be carried out, the bartender's chip tip jar was stolen. I said, This was a reception to remember. My wife was leaving in absolute tears. And it was it was one of those moments where you're like, ah wish we could have had that day back. We would have done things a little differently. But some sometimes life goes that way. When we look here at what's going on in scriptures today, we, we see Jesus is attending this wedding. And he's going he he's attending it with with, of course, his disciples, but also his mother. And I want to point out that what Scripture says, that Mary was there and Jesus was invited also. So what is it, what is it telling us? That Mary had more than just a, a happenstance invitation. That she was probably helping assist with the preparation for this wedding. Weddings were no small uh, feat in the ancient world. This would have been the greatest day, not only for the bride and groom, but for their families. Most of them would have been very poor, and the grandest thing that they would ever attend in their lives would be a wedding. We have weddings that we we pour a lot of money into. Darren could tell you about that, right? We pour a lot of money into, and what happens? There's the wedding, and then we go to a reception, and then the the bride and groom fly away on their honeymoon somewhere, and that's it. Oh, not in the Jewish culture, not in Jesus' day. The feast was for a week was for a week. And it was a legal contract when the the groom would, would uh, pay a bride price to the bride's father. And so the groom's family, Darren, I like this, the groom's family had to pay for the wedding. And they were expected to provide uh, for the wedding feast all the food and all the drink. Now, there was not the the hardcore liquor that you'll find at some reception that that was not available and that was forbidden because you were not allowed to get drunk, that would have broken a command of the Lord. And you cannot expect God to honor a wedding when you're breaking His commands at the same time. You Don't expect that to happen. And so when we read that the wine runs out, this is a major taboo. This should not happen. And um, there are cases that are recorded where the bride's family would sue the groom's family for the shame that had been done to them because now she has to live her entire life as the bride of the man that could not even provide a feed for her and her family for one week let alone provide for her for her entire life this was a, a serious and joyous moment but it was great shame to run out of food or drink and so that is the setting where we find ourselves today where where Jesus is asked a question by Mary. So I want you to think about, about this question she asks, and it's more of a statement. She says, They have no wine. Now, how does Jesus respond? Does it strike you odd in Jesus' response here at all? Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Is, is Jesus being condescending to his mother when he says woman this way? No, he's not, but I want you to see what he is doing. The, the, the way the, the Greek reads here with, with how, how he's saying, woman, would be similar to you and I being raised here in the north. And, and our mother asks us of something, and at least we don't say, mom, you know, this is not my responsibility. We say, ma'am, what does this have to do with me? Jesus is being respectful to his mother, but he is letting her know, this is not on me. This is not my responsibility. I am your son, but this is not for me to do. And What's going on here? Jesus is saying, Mary, up to this point, you have considered me your son. This day and from now on, I am your Messiah. I answer to my father's will, not to my mother's. We're seeing Jesus, the man here, step up and say, Mary, you've overstepped your bounds. You cannot ask me to do this. It has to be the father's will. And I want to point out that something a lot of times in our lives happens. Kids grow up, right? And they become adults. Do we treat them like adults when they grow up? Some are shaking, yeah, you no. Know, we tend to still treat them like children. And what happens when we've changed roles, but people don't recognize that new role that we are now in, or we don't actually want to live up to the responsibility of the role that we are now in, it creates conflict. There are people all across this land, and I know we know some, where they grow up and they become an adult and do the things that adults have, and all of a sudden they're having kids, and then they go to grandma and grandpa's house, and all of a sudden grandma and grandpa are raising the kids, and the adult that is, we're treating like a kid, is acting like a kid, and now you are having to act like mom again, or dad again. That is not right. And so as... As Christians especially we need to say You are an adult now You must take upon these adult responsibilities My role now Is not mother of your children Or father of your children But grandfather and grandmother That's a different role with different responsibilities So we understand What what Jesus is getting at here Is that I am I am not the, the little kid under your authority anymore I am a man on my own and I have to make my own choices, and I have my own responsibilities, as we all do. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll, we'll treat adults as if they're still kids, and, and we'll, we'll, what do we do? We enable them to have this bad behavior that is harmful to them. And it's harmful to us, and usually it's harmful to the, the kids they end up having. We, we could look at these scenarios in, in all kinds of places. You know, In this country, when you were 18, you were considered an adult, and you were to enact as an adult. But if we're honest as parents, and I'm sure I'll be the same way, if I'm honest, when my daughter turns 18, I will still see her as my little baby. But there will come a time where where I have to realize she is an adult woman now, and she has to make her own choices. And some of those choices will not be the best for her. But if I just always am there and run to a rescue and fix the problem, she's never going to learn the lesson of when she makes those mistakes. This was a a big mistake that is made at this way understand that these stonemason jars they, they are huge jars they hold 20 to 30 gallons of water a piece and what were they used for when people would come they would they would wash their hands and they'd wash their arms in preparation for the meal that same water would have been used to wash their feet from that long journey they had and so there's a little irony when the, the, the master is tasting the water and it says he doesn't know where it came from it's for good reason because he wanted to drink it. <laughs> but understand, what, what did those jars represent? And I ask you, why did Jesus turn this water into wine? They were right. You know, the, the wine supply they had, the way it was traditionally done, they would, they, would take, they would take wine that has been fermented for a few days so that it's not too strong, would not make someone drunk, and they would dilute it with about 10% water. And so when the, the master of the feast says they usually serve the best wine first, what is happening is really the same wine, but as it starts to, to run low and as people become a little bit enumerated and had that first round of wine, they add more water. So it gets down to about 30% water and 70% wine. But this particular family ran completely out of the wine, and there was no more wine. We don't know how many, how many days into this wedding feast, but they are in a lot of trouble. And we can kind of tell, it's probably early on, if, if Jesus is making up to 180 gallons of wine, that, that they're going to need wine for days still. And so we have, in this moment where Jesus turns this water into wine, something beautiful that is happening. In the In the Old Testament, how would you make yourself clean if you were considered unclean? If you were considered sinful, you would have to go and perform... A ceremony, a ritual cleansing, and so you would go and you would, you would bathe and you you would wash yourself. Did not just the dirt, but it was representative of spiritual washing to to make yourself clean so that you were worthy to be able to go into the the synagogue or the temple and and to make that sacrifice or that offering to God. So look at the symbolism that Jesus is using here. I would ask you, Christian, what does wine represent to you? If you were here last week, you really should know. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus doing? He is taking the old system, the old way of purification, the the way that people would have made themselves clean and made themselves right with God and saying, no, it is not by the water that your sins will be forgiven. It is by my blood. The old way is gone. The new way is here. Jesus, with his very first miracle, is pointing towards the cross. He's saying sins will no longer be washed away with some cheap water you got out of a dirty river. It will be washed by the blood of the Son of God, the Lamb of God himself. Will wash away your sins. And so we, we may look and say, okay, Jesus turned water into wine. Mama asked him to, and, and he did. But much more than that, Jesus is showing us from his very first miracle why he is here. He is here to be about his Father's will to provide a way for our sins to be forgiven. It is the cross that he has come for. He has come to go to the cross. And now, I want us to think about, as we reflect on the disciples a little bit. The disciples were told by John, Behold the Lamb of God. They believed John's testimony. Andrew and John did. Andrew tells Peter. Peter believes Andrew's testimony. Philip believes Andrew's testimony, and Nathaniel believes Philip's testimony. There are people here that that have come because they've been invited, or somebody at some point in their lives has shared a testimony about Jesus Christ with them. But it says when he performed this first miracle, because understand Mary, the disciples, and the servants are the only ones that are clued in here. They're the only ones that know what actually happened. And when he performs this first miracle, they do what? They believe it's one thing for someone to tell you about Jesus. It's one thing for someone to tell you about how much God loves you. It's a complete another thing to encounter Jesus Christ and experience that love for yourself. I can tell you to him, blue in the face what God has done for me and my family, but I will ask you, have you had that encounter with God? Because only then will you really understand what I'm trying to tell you, uh, how much Jesus loves you, what has He done for you? And what he's going to do for you in the future. is what we see with this this wedding that, that that is going on here. Imagine how blessed this couple was to have Jesus the Lord of all. A few things we need to, to look at when when Jesus turns his water into wine, he is creating wine basically out of nothing. We we joked in Sunday school and, and said, Well, how 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 could you know he turn water into wine? He, he had water. He didn't have the grapes or the sugar or any of the other stuff that is normally added to wine. Jesus speaks the word, and it happens. He creates. He manifests His glory. That's what the scriptures talk about. He made His glory known. He revealed to those who knew. <coughs> excuse me. He revealed to those who knew that He is the Creator. He is the one when, when John writes about, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He is the one who has spoken all things into existence, including this wine. And this is the wine that you and I will partake of in the new kingdom. Jesus at the Last Supper said, I will not partake of this with you until I partake of it with you new in the kingdom. We are all going to sit around that that table one day, and we are going to partake of this wine that Jesus has made at the wedding. And we will remember all the things that Jesus has done, and we will celebrate and be worshiping. But ultimately, we have to ask the question, I'd ask the question to you now, is have you really encountered Jesus? Or are you like the, the, the master of the ceremony, who is basically the, glor, the glorified best man, if you will, in the, in the wedding feast? Have you heard a lot about this Jesus guy? You've heard some people start to talk. and You've heard the testimonies about him. But when you taste the wine, you're like, wow, they've saved the best wine for last. Nobody does that. You don't understand what the wine represents because you don't understand the cross. You don't understand what it means to have your sins covered by the blood of the Lamb. So it asks you, do you understand what that means? Have you encountered God? Have you encountered His Son? You must do so. You must encounter Him. Because you, otherwise you'll be like the disciples before this first miracle. Like, you've heard the testimonies, you're coming to church and you're believing, you're doing the right things, all the things that you think God wants you to do, but you don't even know who God is. You must have a genuine encounter with him. How do you do that? The easiest way is to get on your knees and pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. He will. And done that. I've done that one point in time and God will reveal himself in very powerful ways. Ask my bicycle. <laughs> now that you've prayed, open God's word. Read what it says about Jesus. Encounter and see that he is real. That what he has done is real. And that with Jesus, it's all in or nothing. We, we don't get to be bandwagon fans with, with Jesus. There'll be a lot of people today cheering for one team or another, and they, they have no skin in the game at all. Most of them are not actually Eagles or Patriots fans. It's, you know, I, I want Tom Brady to lose, so I'll cheer for the Eagles. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you hear it? But that's not a genuine thing. We need to not be just fans of Jesus, but followers. We need to be there where he calls us to go. We need to understand well, what it means to have Jesus as Lord. Christ is—he has changed the water of Jewish purification into the wine of the new age. No more will the old ways work. And I think many of us, when we, we look at our lives as we have encountered church life and others in the church... You know, we've we had that moment where we've come down we've got, we heard that song and it made us all emotional. Maybe we were at a concert. Maybe you're here at another church. And you come down and you've had that moment. It's the good cry. as said some people like to call it. But have you encountered Jesus? I want you to really think about that. Do you know what it means to have Jesus as Lord? Because I think... What happens a lot of the times is we come down, we, we do the altar call, or maybe we go forward and we get baptized, and, and things are going okay for a while, but, but it starts to get hard, and that's at that moment where we really find out, have we had that encounter with Jesus? Are you running to the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ when those moments get hard? Are you saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I need you, because I rely on you, because you are my everything. Or we do go back, and maybe and we've fallen into sin and say, oh, i got to go back to... The, do those jars, and wash my hands again, and get clean, and get right, and do all the things that I must do to please God. God is pleasing His Son, Jesus Christ, and He's pleased in you because of His Son. There's nothing you're going to do over here. There's no deeds, no works, no amount of cleansing yourself, no amount of spiritual retreats that are going to make you right with God. It is by the blood of the Son of God that you are made right with Him. So oh, I ask you, when when you face those hard times, when you fall back into sin, or when the devil's attacking you and everything's just crumbling, which way are you gonna turn? You're gonna go back to the old way, the world, the world's way. The world will tell you take, take a drink of this, it'll make you feel better. Smoke this, it'll make you feel better. Keep working harder and harder. You'll eventually get there. You work another job, do this, do that. The world has all kinds of ways it wants to tell you. But who runs the world? Satan. Satan is the one that says, Yeah, use this, use this water that is dirty and filthy. It'll cleanse you. That water won't cleanse a thing. It's not good enough to feed to our animals. But it'll cleanse our soul of sin. Christ and Christ alone could cleanse our soul of sin because... He and he alone is the one who has created us. He knows the longing we have and the shame that we have. To run out of wine would have been a great shame on the groom. But Jesus is saying, whatever you have, whatever shame, give it to him. Lay it at his feet. He will take that shame away and he will give you something even better. Not wine that is diluted and watered down, but the true wine. He will give you Himself. Who else can do that? Who else in the history of the world has claimed to be God and has proven it? There are many false prophets in the world. Most of them do not claim to be God. And the few that do, they have nothing to back it up except Jesus Christ. As I get ready to close here, I ask you, is Jesus the Son of God, the Lord of your life? Or is He something else to you? What is He? It's a question, statement only you can answer. Who is Jesus to you? To me, He is everything. He is what makes life worth living. Darren, as we started today, joked about, I don't get retired, I get to preach forever. And I say, Amen! what a great honor it is to be able to serve the king forever. We never want to retire from that. You want to retire from jobs because they're a job. With Jesus, it's not a job. It's it's the way, the truth, and the life. That moment's going to come in this life where you realize that the wine, the pleasure, the, the money, everything that you had you're realizing it's running out, and you might be able to fake it for a little while and not let anybody know that that you've run out of it, but that day's going to come where you're looking at the glass and like, there's there's no more to go around. People are going to notice, and that's when people will start to leave and say, oh, you have no more to offer me. When you have money or something that somebody wants, they'll hang around and they'll be around for a long time, but as soon as that money dries up, where will they be? They will disappear. They will go away. They will use you until there is no more. That day will come. And and for many of us, that day will will come in our dying days when we need people the most. And they will leave us empty and nothing. They'll threaten to put us in a nursing home and things of that nature. But Jesus says, I will never do that. He says, if you're running low on on the wine that the world has offered you, I bid you to come and exchange it for the true wine. The wine that, that belongs to Jesus Christ, that is his blood that he shed on the cross. So that you may have not not just a good drink, but you may have eternal life. You may be able to enjoy it forever. You'll never have to worry about the joy of Christ from running out in your life. Because this life that we are living is just the beginning. We talk about Paul, how he, he wants to... To run the race and and run it well and to finish it well. But what if I were telling you that this life is just the starting block? That that once we pass from this life to the next, it will be for all eternity. And all those joyous and great things that, that we long for, we will be able to have in abundance beyond our comprehension. The Bible declares that the things that God has prepared for you, you can't even comprehend that your mind is so minute and small and unable to have that big kind of faith that it takes to believe what God is going to do for you in glory. So I encourage you to ask those questions why as we continue on in this study. But I would also ask you, are you partaking of the true wine? (coughs) Are you drinking the water that's not even worthy to be given to your dog? For one of us, a lot of us have, have come to the altar. A lot of us have, have gotten to that point where, where Jesus is inviting us in. And as soon as a moment gets tough, we run back to that dirty water. Because that's what we know. That's, that's what we're used to. Because to go to the wine means you have to go into the presence of a holy and righteous God. And he will bear your, your sins out. Your sins will be known, but he will tell you they are forgiven. I took them on the cross. The wrath of the Father has been satisfied in the Lamb. Let us close in prayer now. But as we play that final song, if you have not encountered Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come down and encounter him today. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. The wine won't last forever that the world offers. It comes to an end. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the many blessings you give us, Lord. I thank you that you you offer us to be be part of the true vine, Lord, and partake of the true wine that, that you offer through, through the forgiveness of our sins, through the blood that you shed on Calvary, Lord, on that cross. Truly, you are the Lamb of God, the Lamb who is slain, and now is risen and seated at the right hand of the Father. You are the one, the Lamb that will be handed the the scroll in Revelation, Lord. We know the time is close for your return, and we say amen to that. I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, who who needs to partake of that that wine for the first time, Lord, that, that you open their heart to receive it, that they realize that you are here for them, that you love them, regardless of all the lies that the world will tell them, that you love them, God. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.